0: Yeah, and you know, before we start, um, I just want to welcome a few people. Um, I just there's a sister Anna Johansson who got baptized last week after church. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, there she is. There she is. Um, and also, there's another brother, uh, Sean Carter, who got baptized yesterday. There he is over there. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to welcome you guys to the fellowship. Awesome stuff. Um, Yeah, so this past week, um, you know, I've recently been able to be a part of a teen internship. Uh, The title of this internship was Build. You know, it was pretty cool being able to build uh, stronger friendships with the teens from overseas and really build on my faith in God. Um, We had lessons, sung karaoke, and shared our faith with strangers. Um, A few of you even here today, you know. Um, Throughout this week, I've recently also been reflecting on a few questions. What does it truly mean to be a builder? What are we actually building? And how can we be builders that truly glorify God? Before we start, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we could, um, you know, come here to church where um, we live in a country where, you know, church is not persecuted. Uh, we we don't get ch- persecuted for going to church, God. Um, you know, I, I just pray that um, you you talk through me and Diego in our lessons, God, and that um, you know we really preach Your Word, and I pray that you know we we have open hearts today, and that you, you let um, that we let the Word cut our hearts, God. Um, you know, I pray all these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Alright, sweet. Um, this morning I'll be going over the first half of Second Corinthians five, um, whereas De- Diego will be doing a lesson on the second half. Oh, so I'll be going on the first half, he'll be going second half. Um, if you can, please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, where we will start in verse 1. If not, if you don't have your Bibles, it's up on there. There we go. All right, sweet. Uh, Verse 1, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be clothed, unclothed, but, in, but clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Verse six. Therefore we are always confident and know what is long. Know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live in for we live by faith, not by sight. Amen, I love this passage because Paul is writing to the Church in Corinth about you know what happens as a Christians as Christians when we are faced with death. I feel this topic of death has you know so much prevalence in our world today, um, especially because of all the tragic events that have um, you know happened all around the world as christians we aren 't immune to these tragic events some may some may even argue that um, you know, because we identify with Christ, we're more susceptible to them. Uh, Paul encourages us that the bodies we live in right now are temporary, but our heavenly bodies—we are, we—the heaven, but our heavenly bodies—we are waiting to receive last forever. Alone, we are weak, but with God, we have power. This leads me to the first, to my first and only point. Strike with focus. You know, in the first half of this scripture, Paul focuses on the difference between two two buildings. An earthly tent and a heavenly house. These two buildings represent something similar, but something completely different. Paul uses this analogy of buildings to represent our bodies here on earth and our bodies in heaven also. Even looking in the first verse, ooh. nope. Okay, even looking in the first verse, um, you know, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. It says that if our earthly tent is destroyed, if our physical bodies die, we have a hope given to us from God, and that as disciples, we have redemption through our heavenly bodies to look forward to. In the New Living Translation Bible, it says, when the earthly tent we live in gets taken down referring to this idea that you know our mortality is not a decision between if rather than an inescapable when this first verse is scary, even terrifying because it already tackles the concept of death when, when looking at this in, co- in context, the scripture talks about how as Christians we have a hope that we can look forward to our efforts as Christians will not be in vain and even through death, we are given an eternal promise by God. One that is not built by human hands, and one that is perfect in all, the way, in all ways. Think about it. Men make errors. God makes perfection. In verse 5, it's almost as if Paul is giving the church a, a sort of hope. He reminds the church in Corinth that the deposit of the Holy Spirit is almost like a taste of what is next an entree to the main course. When looking at the scripture using the Greek translation, the word arabon is used in replacement for guarantee. The word arabon directly directly translates to pledge. God gives us an earnest deposit of the Holy Spirit to guarantee the full price later on. Furthermore, to emphasize this, the Greek word for, for this is arabona, which literally means engagement ring. God uses this idea of being married to the promise he proposes to us. It's a pledge that helps us not forget our coming redemption when we die. The second half half of the scripture is a focus on living through faith in God and not through what we see. In verse 6, Paul starts the second half of scripture saying, Therefore... It's as if he's saying, because of the heavenly dwelling we look forward to, we, because we have an eternal home in heaven, because we have a purpose that was fashioned to us by God, in verse 6, we can be confident in our home in God. Verse 7, we can live by faith and not by sight. In verse 9, we can make it our goal to please Christ. And verse 10, we can appear in front of the judgment seat of Christ. The first half enables us to pursue this path set out for us in in the second half. But the question we should ask ourselves still remains. Are we seeking the end goal like the church in Corinth? Are we, as a church, physically groaning and longing to be in our heavenly dwelling? Paul addresses this longing in the Corinth church, but what about us? If Paul today were to look at us as a collective assembly, would he say that we are focusing on is too much on heaven or too much on earth? Are we too comfortable with our lives right now? Paul mentions in Philippians one twenty one. Philippians one twenty one that to live is christ and to die is gain are we a church that has a mentality of gaining from death like the corinth church groans for it's easy for us to get so caught up in the here and now and that we actually forget our reward in heaven our focus should be on the long term and the promise that god offers us this idea of focus is not a new idea um either you know, this can be seen in other practices. Take martial arts, for example. You know, here on the slide now, you can see a very real photo of Diego and I doing some martial arts. <laughs> you know, he, look at him. He's, he's a higher belt than I am, you know. <laughs> but in all seriousness, there's a practice in martial arts known as, known as uh, board breaking. This is when the martial artist breaks... Uh, wooden, or even concrete concrete slabs in testament to their skill. They use this for practice, in competitions, or in testing to demonstrate their ability and strength. You know, breaking these boards aren't easy. Um, it takes someone to strike the board in the right place with the right amount of force to break one or even multiple boards. You know, I actually tried to karate chop um, a stick this week um, just to make my point, but You know, uh, it didn't uh, turn out so well. Um, It was actually a lot harder than I thought and it even bruised the side of my hand. After doing some extensive research, I learned that, you know, these people breaking boards, they weren't focusing on the board itself. They were focusing on the area outside of the board. You know, um, yeah, after researching this, I tried my luck. I got someone to hold the stick and focused on going through it. I held my breath and went for it. It actually worked. (laughs) You know, I looked at my hand and I was like almost awestruck. I was like, you know... What, what else can I do with my hand, you know? I, I, could probably, I could probably karate chop some concrete or something. But, you know, this is the same for our spiritual life as well, isn't it? Sometimes in our discipleship life, we focus so much on the here and now. We get caught up in our jobs, our schoolwork, our chores, our taxes, our friends, our popularity, the hows and whens that we miss out on remembering the promise of God that what he proposes to us. You know, we forget this pledge of heaven that our focus is misguided, lost in the thoughts of what we are going to eat tomorrow. Like the martial artist, the focus of our strike shouldn't be on the board, or or in our case, our lives right now, but the space after the board, the heavenly dwelling we all have a part in. Like Corinth, let's be a church that shifts our focus to the life ahead of us and not the life today. A church that physically groans and longs for the thought of being with our Heavenly Father. But what are some things we can do or change right now in our lives so that we can build up our focus on the life ahead? Striking in the right place. Going back to the martial arts analogy, if the practitioner didn't know where to strike the board, he would aimlessly hit the wood with the least amount of efficiency. Sure, he might break through, but wouldn't it have been easier if he struck in the right direction and the right place? It's all about working smart, not hard. It's the same with us in our lives, you know? What are we actually aiming for? Are we looking to strike with focus, aim, and purpose? We need to be striking where it's most effective and efficient. An example of this is, what do we do when we're faced with sin? Are we striking it at its roots? Or are we being lenient with ourselves, tolerating when temptations arise, only to feel guilty and surprised when we are caught off guard and fall into temptation? Just like the martial artists, it would be so much easier if we knew where to look. If we looked at sin and searched for its roots, it saves so much energy and time, which means that striking the board and causing it to break requires less force. By knowing the roots, we become much more ready for growth. Growth in our relationship with God, growth in our spiritual maturity, growth in our motivations for our actions. This growth is not only inward. There's growth in our ministries and growth in our godly relationships with each other. When when on what's to, when what's to come oh, sorry strike right. what's to come and strike in the right direction and place, our effectiveness as disciples grows double, triple and even quadruple times the amount that we were than if we were aimless and focusless. You know, in conclusion, Paul addresses the church in Corinth on the focus of the heavenly dwelling. Here in this church today, in the 21st century, Paul's message still rings true. We have a pledge from God that entitles us to our redemption. We need to remember not to take this promise for granted, but to use it as a focus point in order for us to strike when necessary. Let's all be men and women of God that strike effectively when it comes to sin and distractions. Amen.
1: All right. Amen. That was awesome, bro. And uh, yeah, thanks, Caleb, for that convicting point. Uh, sorry about this. Um, let me just fix that. Awesome. Um all right so I also just want to thank uh, the the teens for um taking charge in this awesome teen led service so far if you don't know me my name is Diego De la Costa and I'm recently flew here for, flew from Sydney to participate in an amazing New Zealand teen internship <laughs> Over the course of this week I've learned how to evangelize to strangers, lead studies, and most importantly, I learned how to build my relationship with God, strengthen my relationships with other disciples, and I learned how to fruitfully grow my ministry or church in general. Yeah. To be honest, I never really knew how to do I never really knew how to do these things before. I would feel anxious to talk to strangers, I would sometimes be unprepared for studies, and a lot of times I've experienced a a lack of spiritual growth in my relationship with God. But after spending only, like, what, a week here, I've been able to overcome these challenges. And I know for a fact that when I get home, I'll definitely be applying what I learned and what I'm about to preach in my daily life. <laughs> this morning, I'll be focusing on the second half of 2 Corinthians 5, which that talks about the ministry of reconciliation. From verse 11, which reads... Since then we know what is what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are in what we are is plain to God, and I hope that it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but but you are giving but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind as some say it is for God if we are in the in our right mind it is for you for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and we died for all and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for for them and was raised again so from now on Uh, so from now on we regard no one from our worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone and the new is here all this is from God who reconciled us to himself to to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might be become the so so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen, you guys. After reading the scripture, Paul addresses the idea of being an ambassador for Christ, which is my overall point this morning. Uh, oops, sorry. Uh, ooh, I kind of skipped a bunch. Oh, okay, all right. Um, Paul's role of role as an ambassador influenced both the Church of, of Corinth and should influence us as disciples today. In order to fully understand what it means to be an ambassador of Christ, we need to understand what an ambassador is in the first place. During Roman times, an ambassador was considered as an untouchable higher form of authority. A Roman ambassador was a person chosen to represent their own country or king on their behalf. As a Roman ambassador, they were treated with the utmost respect and obtained a status of social immunity. A Roman ambassador could could not and would not be persecuted, imprisoned, or flogged. And if they were, the problem would be quickly dealt with and subdued. Roman ambassadors were people that wouldn't be stationed in one area or country, and they would be constantly traveling between the two. Meaning that, um, oh, sorry, if a Roman ambassador was traveling to another country, and that opposing country send someone to kill him, then that would instantly declare war between the two countries. As you can see, a regular Roman ambassador had such a high level of power and authority. Unfortunately for Paul, he wasn't, pro- he wasn't provided with this form of power and authority. Paul was called to another form of ambassadorship. He was chosen by God to represent him to the church of Corinth. Although he was an ambassador, Paul was chosen to be set apart from the social norm of ambassadorship. And by doing so, he faced faced hardships that a regular ambassador wouldn't. In Ephesians 6.20, Paul describes himself as, For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Here, Paul was imprisoned for being an ambassador for Christ. And although he was imprisoned, he never stopped doing God's will. And he was proud of the role he played. Later in Second Corinthians six four to ten, Paul addresses the, all the hardships he faced during his time in prison. Verse ten specifically is what I want to emphasize, and it reads: "Sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet yet making many riches, having nothing and yet possessing everything." Ultimately, Paul is saying that being an ambassador of Christ will bring forth challenges. And that we must be prepared to face them no matter the situation. He also addresses that although we will face challenges and hardships now, in the future we will reap greater rewards. Um, Yeah, so consider this example. During the reign of Roman Emperor Nero, many Christians were persecuted through some extreme methods. Some of these methods included mutilation from ravenous dogs being burned or boiled alive, having flesh skinned being crushed or grounded up, etc etc it 's pretty gross yeah i know yeah yeah it 's yeah, it's pretty graphic i didn 't want to put them on the slide, so so instead, enjoy this cute photo of a photo of a puppy. Well, oh, look at him. <laughs> All right. Um, ultimately, Nero would do these cool things as a way to subdue the Christian's faith. He saw that these Christians believed and worshiped someone that was higher than him, higher, higher than him, the emperor of Rome. Nero believed that he himself had the most power and authority, and he wanted to keep it that way. Nero used fear as a method of exposing shallow faith. You know, during the torture sessions, victims were forced to drop their beliefs in God and replace, it with, and replace it by making Emperor Nero their new idol of worship. Many Christians did, in fact, give in to confessing, and unfortunately, they did drop their beliefs in God in order to save themselves. Evidently, it shows how quickly a person can drop something they truly believe in just, just when things get hard. On the contrary, many Christians still went along with their, went strong in their faith, even through these extreme forms of hardship. These Christians died while still holding on to their convictions and beliefs, never losing sight of the God they served. This sort of faithful heart completely correlates with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They too were confronted by King Nebuchadnezzar and were forced, uh, and were faced with this dilemma. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew the consequences of not worshiping Nebuchadnezzar, and yet they did not sell out God to save themselves. They were they were so confident in God that even if he didn't save them, they would still not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Although we're not experiencing these extreme forms of persecution, are we still grasping onto our faith or do we sell out God the moment it's convenient for ourselves? As ambassadors of Christ, we're made to stand out. So if, so if we're called by Paul to be ambassadors for Christ, how do we go about by doing this? Uh, personally, I believe it starts by losing, by not losing sight of God in our life. For example, in our evangelism, do we have the right motives when we go out sharing our faith? I know for me, sometimes when I go out and share my faith, I can do it as a way to look spiritually active or to impress other people. Evidently, it shows that I'm seeking and putting the approval of others above God, which led me to, which leads me to losing sight of the mission, which is seeking and saving the lost. We also have to remember that when we go out, out sharing our faith, it's God who does all the work. We're just the ones that initiate the conversation. So as we go out into the world as disciples, whether it's in the streets, in our homes, on the job, or all alone, (laughs) we need to represent Christ through what we say and what we do. When other people in the world see our actions, it it can significantly shape their views on living a Christ-like life. For instance, if you told your classmate or coworker that you're Christian and yet you're swearing and crude joking, those people would then believe that Christians tolerate that sort of behavior. Another way of being an ambassador of Christ is to attend all the meetings of the body in order to grow personally, spiritually, and interpersonally as disciples. For example, say you offered a job promotion at your work. On one hand, it pays extremely well and you earn great holiday leave. While on the other hand, it requires long hours and night shifts and prevents you from attending commitments such as Bible talk, midweeks, and church services. What would you choose, the world or God? As disciples we need to weigh the worth and consider the pros and cons. Hebrews ten twenty four to 25 says that we should spur one another on to love and good deeds and to, and to attend meetings of the body as some are in the habit of doing. Are we doing this to grow God's kingdom or are we doing it for our own personal gain? What would last longer, the rewards we reap from God or that $50,000 paycheck. (laughs) Lastly, as ambassadors of Christ, how can we confront persecution? I'm obviously a teen, right? So a prime example of persecution would be at school, whether it's dirty looks we get when we share our faith or gossip that we overhear about us. When we're faced with these sorts of situations, we need to remember that God made us to stand out and to live out his word no matter the situation. If Paul can survive beatings or imprisonment and still do God's will, surely we can overcome a few dirty looks and comments. Use, this, use these opportunities as a way to reflect Christ through our actions and stand up for what we believe in. Another way we could stand out would be to not go with the flow, but instead we should beat against it. I know for me at school, I can easily be influenced to join in on gossip on another person. Or sometimes I can flat out do it myself. Again, as ambassadors of Christ, we need to be reflecting God's teaching through our actions. And we need to make sure that our hearts align with his word. So as we go out into the world, whether that's driving home, going going to school, or flying back home to your country, let us reflect on the points that Caleb and I shared this morning. We need to be striking with focus and striking in the right place as disciples, and ultimately we need to be ambassadors of Christ. We need to reflect God's teaching through our actions, no matter the hardships that we face. Because remember, God didn't make us to blend in, he made us to stand out. To God be the glory. Amen.